Uh, so Christmas Day has come and gone. I hope that your Christmas was, uh, was well and that you enjoyed your Christmas together with either family, friends, neighbors, uh, so on. Um, we've received presents, we've given presents, and I will tell you that uh, because of our large family, we, um, we used to start with the youngest when Emma was little, and we would go to the oldest, and then Terry and I would be last since I'm the, uh, the old guy in the family. And so then over the years, um, the, the older kids didn't like that. So the oldest wanted to start, and we would go from the uh, oldest kid. Well, now guess what happens? The matriarch of the family gets to start. <laughs> so Terry starts, starts it all now. Um, we had a, a, a faux pas at, at Christmas uh, afternoon opening gifts. And so, you know, there was, um, I guess, 12 or 15 of us in the room, and we had gone around, and we had bought all the kids and their significant others a same gift. And if you want to know what it is, you can ask me after uh, worship's over. So they all had the same box to open, and they were going around, and they realized kind of quickly after the third one was opened that, hey, I've got a box that looks just like that. <laughs> and so Charlotte picked up her box, and she opened it, and there was nothing inside of it. And we looked at each other like, whoa, Amazon has cheated us. So I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. it, it it'll be fine. I bought one of these things several months ago, and I don't use it, so you can have mine. So Emma went and got, gave it to Charlotte. Well, the next day, Terry gets a phone call from Charlotte. And Charlotte says, guess what? I picked up Trey's box, her son's, who had already opened his gift and had put his box back together. And so I opened his box that had nothing in it because he had already taken his out of it. So when I got home, my box has the gift in it. You get it? Okay, good. I was wondering... So what does that have to do with anything of the scripture today? Well, the box was not empty when Mary and Joseph went to the temple. That's the only way. I, it was a great story. I just wanted to tell you. It has nothing to do with anything. So today we're looking at Mary and Joseph and them presenting Jesus at the temple. And... Uh, it is a great event. It is something that, that happens. It's not a minor event. And no, there is no empty box. And, and they're there with Jesus, and they're doing it the right way. And they're, uh, as we will see, um, man, this is just a great story. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, this is in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to pick up with verse 21 and read to 35. So we're not going to talk about Anna this morning, the prophetess, but we are going to talk about Simeon. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days 
for their purification according to the law of Moses was complete, they brought him, him being Jesus, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, And the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word, We pray this in your name. Amen. We know very little about Simeon. We don't know where he was born. We don't know about his relatives. We don't know how old he was. We don't know where um, he he was living. We don't know if he was rich or poor. We don't know how long he had been in Jerusalem, other than we know that the Holy Spirit had brought him into Jerusalem. And we are told that this man was righteous and devout, and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're further told that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he would see the Lord God's Christ. A wonderful promise. Pastor and author James Boyce says that means that Simeon was somewhat of a sentinel for he had been placed in Israel to point to the Christ for God when he came. So you can 
look at Simeon as God's sentinel in Jerusalem. And the scripture doesn't say other than he was waiting to see this Messiah that would come. We don't know how many times he had gone to the temple. We didn't, you know, we can get a picture of maybe he was in the temple when people would come in and maybe they were carrying a child or a young baby like Jesus and they would walk, he would walk over and say, I wonder, Lord, is, is this him? Is this the one? No, this isn't the one. The Holy Spirit was upon him. But on this day, Simeon is in the temple, and there's a young couple, a poor young couple, that comes in with a young child. That child is around 40 days old. Jesus has already been circumcised on the eighth day. He has been given the name Jesus, and now they're coming to the temple, and the mother after birth of a son could not present herself for purification before 40 days. And so it's believed, as Luke tells us, that this is the time for purification. He says that they would go to Jerusalem, and they would present Jesus for this blessing but it was also a time for Mary for her purification, and so they came to the temple, Jesus being around 40 days old. And the likelihood is, is the word for temple that is used here uh, overcompasses the, the, the sanctuary and all of the courts, and the likelihood is, is that they might have been in the court of women because Mary would not have been allowed to go any further than that. Maybe Simeon was there looking for this this woman that would bring in this young child, and, and he knew there would be a mother involved, and maybe he was waiting in the court of women to see who would come in. And lo and behold, Mary and Joseph and Jesus come in to the temple area, and Simeon sees them. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him who this child is. Simeon walks over. He, he, he probably introduced himself. Maybe he even told them, look, the Holy Spirit told me I wouldn't see death until I laid eyes on the Christ. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph being taken back? Maybe a little. I mean, they had already heard from the shepherds that had come and proclaimed everything that had been told, and Mary pondered those things in her heart that night. We, we, we don't know whether the, the wise men have come yet. Probably not yet. Probably not yet, because Herod has not made his proclamation to kill all of the children under two years old. Mary and Joseph are in the temple and they, they see Simeon come over and, and Simeon wants to hold the child. And he takes this child in his arms. And he lifts the child up and he makes this wonderful proclamation, this inspirational song back to the Lord. I want you to hear that 
Again, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. magnificent prayer of Simeon. This morning, I want to help us to look at three truths that Simeon gives us this morning. Three truths that he helps us to understand this Jesus, this Christ, the one who he lifts up, that he is presenting to his Father, Jesus, to his Father in heaven. And that first highlight truth is Jesus is God's salvation. He says that in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. Simeon recognizes that This was what he was looking for. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ of God, the one who would bring salvation. This word salvation here means the one fitted to save. In other words, he was the only one able to save. There was no other able to bring salvation to the peoples. Jesus. So in what way was Jesus able to save? I want to give you just four points under this first one, God's salvation. And the first is, Jesus was able to save because he is God. It was important that everyone understand that Jesus is God. The Westminster Larger Catechism puts it this way. He might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and infancy to his suffering, obedience, and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a particular people, Give his spirit to them and conquer all of their enemies and bring them to everlasting salvation. This is Jesus. This is God. And so Jesus is able to save because he is God. Second, Jesus was able to save because he is man. It is important for us to understand not only was he God, but that he is man. Westminster Larger Catechism puts this in this fashion. He might advance our nature, perform our obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession on our behalf of our nature, have a fellow feeling of our infirmities, that we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters, 
and have comfort and access with boldness to the very throne of grace. Jesus is man, fully God, fully man. He had to be man for salvation to happen. Third, Jesus was able to save because he was sinless. Imagine if a truly wonderful person said that they were willing to pay for your sin. Well, guess what? That is a great deal, but God's not going to honor that. And you know why? Because that person is sinful. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one, human-wise, can take our position except for Jesus. He is infinite God. He is able to pay the penalty. He is able to take our substitution as an act of our sin on himself. In other words, Jesus being sinless is the only one who could become the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And he was able to do it for everyone who would believe. For everyone who would believe that he is Lord, surrendering their life to him because he was truly the Lamb of God. And then fourth, Jesus is able to save because Jesus is love. This is important for us to understand that he was God, he was man, he was sinless, but he is love. If he was unwilling to die for a sinner or any sinner, then he would not be God's salvation. Not salvation to the world or anyone. God has no obligation to us. We have no claim on him at all. The only reason that we have salvation is because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave. And then you go to John 13 as Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, I have loved you. Think about that. I have loved you. You fill in the blank. Put your name there. That he loved you enough to go to Calvary's cross. Jesus is our salvation. He is the only one. He is the only way. There is no other. Because Jesus is God, he is man, he is sinless, and he loves us, he is the only one that provides salvation, God's salvation. And Simeon reveals that for us in this great prayer. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Thanks be to God. Secondly, Simeon tells us that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. 
Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And this is interesting because, you know, at the time, certainly there were Gentiles that had never come to faith or have an understanding of who Jesus was, as well as a large number of Jews that did not believe. In fact, they lived in spiritual darkness, many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. If we were to maybe ask the governor, one of the governors of of the Roman Empire, do you believe that we are living in darkness? They would say, absolutely not. Look at all that Rome has done. We have created all of these roads and given you all of this. Certainly we are not living in darkness. You could ask some of the Greek philosophers of the time and They would say, oh, Lord, no, we are not living in darkness. We have given you all of this knowledge, and we have brought all of these things to light and the universe and everything. Certainly, we are not living in darkness. But if you were to ask God's view, you would get probably a different answer, I think. Romans 1 21 through 23 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but because but they being futile in their thinking and their foolishness are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It's changed for the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man. Birds and animals and creeping things. Peter probably says it best in the second chapter of his first letter, the ninth verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The world lives in darkness. The world is filled with darkness. Our own nation is filled with darkness. Yes, the United States at one time was a great light, a great light in the world for gospel, for the gospel going out. But the country has darkened the increasing Rejecting of the light of the gospel has permeated across our land. And our country is growing spiritually dark. You say, well, how do I know that? You only have to look at some of the headlines this week of the the darkness, the hatred, the murder, the division that we see in our own country. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, A 14-year-old in California killed his mom, his dad, and tried to kill his sister, a 14-year-old. On Wednesday, a mother in Colorado killed her 7-year-old, her 9-year-old, and tried to kill her 11-year-old but didn't succeed before they were able to arrest her. And we look at this and we say, well, the value of life 
has been changed dramatically within our own country, and that is true. But evil pervades. Hatred and darkness is a part of our country. We see it. It's not just a part of our country, but it's a part of our world. You don't see these headlines often, but on Christmas Day in Nigeria, Africa, over a hundred Christians were killed on Christmas Day. Since 2008, they've estimated, Amnesty International has estimated 52,000 Christians in Nigeria have been murdered, decapitated, killed, horribly killed, and a number of those children. But you don't see those headlines. You don't, you don't see Christians being persecuted very often on the front of the newspaper or anywhere else. This world is dark. In our own nation, we have turned Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays or turned the Christmas season into the holiday season. I was interested in, and I won't name the network, you could... You could name any of them, but a specific network that told their employees that they could not on the air say Merry Christmas or anything Christian-oriented. It had to be Happy Holidays or they would be fired. It's interesting. Simeon says, look, Jesus is the light. He's going to be the revelation of the light to the Gentiles, us, to all people. This is who he is. And he is the only one that will bring light to a dark world. He is the only one that will fill your heart with the light. He is the light of the world. And then the third truth that Simeon gives us is Jesus is glory to God's people. Jesus is glory to God's people. Glory here is that same glory as the Shekinah glory that you hear about in the Old Testament. In other words, it's the visible presence of Jesus And Simeon is saying, look, this is the Jesus that's going to bring joy and bring peace in the midst of the darkness that we live in. This is who he is, that his glory will shine. Lee Bishop was a psychiatrist and a military reservist, and he served in Afghanistan on Christmas Eve of 2008. And here's the story that he tells. He writes this story for Christianity Today magazine, and it was called Christmas in Afghanistan. And and he writes, he says, in the dim light of the dusk of the evening, I watched the procession of a military vehicle approaching our airfield. It came to a stop and carefully unloaded a flag-draped steel casket. He said he knew that somewhere in the U.S. there was going to be a a family that would 
would be going would be suffering a Christmas homecoming that they did not want. It was heartbreaking, this scene, a too familiar scene, he said, of war. And then he says, another scene as I walked down the streets alone, he said, I began to see at the airfield all different types and different people, soldiers holding candles, belting out Christmas carols with gusto. Walking down the street, there were luminaries that were bright, you know, lighting the way to the auditorium where there were cheerful groups. A Christmas concert. And then further away, two blocks away, the chapel was filling for the six o'clock Christmas Eve service. C.S. Lewis writes in Learning in Time of Wartime that war reveals a hunger in human beings for joy and meaning that will not be set aside even to the most difficult circumstances. You see, Jesus did not come just to provide singing of carols, drinking and toasting, feast, exchanging of gifts, celebration. Those things are great. They're great. But Jesus came to bring peace and joy to a dark world. He came to help us to even have joy in overcoming our sorrows. He gave us peace in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of circumstances that are beyond our control or understanding, that we could even have peace in the midst of death. This is who Jesus is. That through his presence and through his glory, Peace would be offered. Peace would be signed in blood on Calvary. That he would give his life so that we might have peace and salvation in his name. Lee Bishop finishes his story by saying this, So joy to the world and to the everlasting celebration and grieving and hurting soul is in it. The Lord has come. Let heaven and nature and even those who stand watching the candles flicker at the shadow of death, may they sing to the joy of the Lord. And so Simeon helps us to understand that God, that Jesus is God's salvation, that Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles, that Jesus is God's glory to all people, that he is present and he is present now. So my question for you is this. Who is Jesus to you? How would you answer that question? Is Jesus your salvation? 
Is is Jesus your light? Is Jesus your glory, the very presence of Jesus in you and surrounding you? If anyone is unsure, they can have certainty in surrender and belief in Jesus the Christ. If Jesus is your salvation, light, and glory, the question that you would need to ask yourself is this. Does anyone else know? Have you told anyone? Are you telling others that Jesus is your salvation? That Jesus is your light? That he is your glory? Simeon in the temple lifts up these three wonderful truths of who Jesus is. And he tells Mary that this Jesus is going to be pierced. And that even her, the mother of the Lord, will experience heartache. But without that heartache, there would be no salvation or light or glory. Simeon gives us these truths. And we have to ask ourselves, is this our Lord? And if so, am I telling anyone? Let's pray. Father, thank you on this last day of the year, this December 31st of 2023, that we can come and we can worship and we can give thanks for your word and we can sing songs of praise and adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. But Father, as we leave this place today, are we going to go and tell? Or are we going to shout it from the mountaintops? Are we going to share the Lord who has given us salvation, light, and his presence, his glory? Are we? Father, thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.